Hello, my name is Benjamin, and welcome to Affable Chat. This is episode three of our four-part series on Batman, where we're taking a look at Batman movies from four different decades. Today, we're talking about Batman Begins, directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale. We'll talk about how Christopher Nolan reinvented Batman on screen and turned him from a laughingstock to the coolest superhero around. We'll talk about Christian Bale as Batman and how with this origin story, choosing the bat isn't such a ridiculous choice. And finally, we'll break down the villains and discover how they each use fear to their advantage. All this and more on today's episode of Affable Chat. Okay, well, Joey, time to talk about our third Batman movie in our Batman series. This one is from the 2000s. That's right. Uh, Batman Begins, the beginning of the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Yeah, and um, man, what a step up. Can I say that first? Like, starting off with just Batman and Robin, and then moving to this movie, it's such a, a huge change, not just in, like, the style of filmmaking and like uh all that but just the subject matter itself it seems to be elevated entirely by christopher nolan and the work he did for this movie yeah seriously like um i was thinking about batman apparel because i feel like a lot of people wear batman stuff it's like a common thing to see just a shirt with that batman symbol on it sure and um if you had only seen batman and robin you see someone wearing that shirt you're like what a loser <laughs> and if you see if you see someone wearing a batman shirt after seeing this movie you're like wow what a like a cool interesting guy yeah like <laughs> this one yeah it's it just it changes the game completely um on batman and it's it's really well done it's honestly kind of a counterpoint as to show how to do a Batman right. And it's, I'm just glad that this exists despite the existence of, you know, Batman and Robin, a movie that could have potentially just ruined Batman completely. We get to see a cooler version and one that I think kind of uh, goes a little bit closer to how just cool and deep Batman is to comic book fans because, uh, he has a lot I don't know there's just a lot more depth here and it keeps Batman cool as opposed to like cheesy and corny definitely um, yeah well I mean every time I watch like a terrible movie or like a movie that like I just don't like that much I always like get down about movies like I'm always like hesitant to go back and see another movie you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I watch something terrible on Netflix and I'm like alright I'm done like and then when I come up like I'm like, oh maybe I should watch a movie today and then I'm like Oh, but remember that last movie you watched? It just like sits in the back of my mind. It's like it's a subconscious feeling of like after I watch something bad, I don't want to watch any more movies. But like, so it was kind of like I was like hesitant to get into this. You know, I was like, all right, I gotta watch this movie. You know, it's gonna be a chore. You're gonna sit down and write all this stuff. But then as soon as it started, I'm just like, wow, this is so nice. This is so refreshing. I just feel totally like immersed. I feel totally on board for this. And it's like the complete opposite of the Joel Schmutzmacher thing because he's he's actually treating or Christopher Nolan is treating batman with some sort of respect and exactly what you're saying like he's um he's giving you the reasons why comic book people or people 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 comic book people (laughs) people made out of comic books people who love the comic book series why they love batman and it's not it's not just because he's a cool character it's because this like 
all the things that he represents, I think. Right, and and it's, yeah, the Christopher Nolan series is obviously highly regarded, especially because of the second one, and that was the previous to this was, uh, I guess that was my first uh, interaction with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies was uh, The Dark Knight because the Joker's performance is so amazing. Everybody loves that movie. Like You don't even have to be a superhero fan to think that, that movie is great uh, or but i think that that maybe overshadows this first one and, and maybe it doesn't get as much recognition as it deserves uh, this is actually my first watch through of batman begins and it blew me absolutely blew me away uh so i think it's worth t- diving deeper into it before we do that let's go ahead and get that synopsis going yeah let's do that <laughs> all right okay <laughs> bruce wayne is on a quest to save Gotham. After his parents' death, Bruce has spent years plotting his revenge against the man responsible. When that man is killed suddenly, Bruce feels lost, and refusing any help, he confronts the man he deems responsible for the sorry state of the city, crime boss Falcone. Falcone laughs Bruce off, telling him he will always fear the criminal underworld. This causes Bruce to give up his cushy life in Gotham and travel the world, seeking to understand the criminal mind. He pulls scams, jobs, and gets thrown into prisons where he learns to defend himself. While in prison, he is approached by Duquesne, a member of the League of Shadows. The League is a secret ninja organization run by a man named Ra's al Ghul. It is responsible for the destru- destruction of many of Earth's greatest civilizations. Bruce trains under Duquesne, who teaches him that fear, deception, and theatricality are powerful weapons against your enemies. But before Bruce can become a full-fledged member of the League, he is tasked with killing a defenseless man. Bruce refuses, saying that his compassion for human life is what separates him from his enemies. He burns down the League of Shadows temple and kills Ra's al Ghul. Bruce returns to Gotham and re-enters society and his father's company, Wayne Enterprises. There he meets Lucius Fox, head of the Applied Sciences Division, which has a bunch of cool gadgets that never really went into production. Bruce begins to spend his nights roaming the city as Batman, a symbol of fear for all criminals. On one of his first nights, he catches Falcone at the scene of a crime and ties him and all his goons up for the police to find him. Meanwhile, Assistant DA Rachel Dawes is frustrated with Gotham's corrupt legal system. She comes face to face with Dr. Crane, an evil psychiatrist who is getting Falcone's criminals off with insanity pleas. Crane works at Arkham Asylum where he performs weird experiments on his patients with weaponized hallucinogens. He attempts to kill Rachel with this stuff, but Batman saves her. Batman and Crane face off, and Batman discovers that Crane is working for Ra's al Ghul. It turns out that Duquesne is the real Ra's, and it was his mission to destroy Gotham using Crane's spooky steam. Batman stamps Ra's one-way train ticket to hell and keeps the city from tearing itself apart through fear. The movie ends with Batman revealing the bat signal to a recently promoted Lieutenant Gordon. Okay. All right, so I think the first place to start is uh, with the director, right? This whole this Batman movie starts us off on a whole new version of Batman, and it's all because of Christopher Nolan's uh, direction. Yes, and it's... um, and I mean, we've already kind of talked a little bit about how he's kind of elevating the source material here, but it, it does become so much more obvious and uh, there's this one point in particular where he said or I, I can't guess bruce says uh people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy this like this was the pivotal moment for me where this where batman stopped being 
like a cool character and started being relevant to me, I think. Like on you can think of Batman as like, oh, he's like this guy he dresses up as like a bat and he fights crime and stuff. But like Christopher Nolan's in this movie at least is making the argument that like Batman is Batman's methods are applicable to anyone. The using uh, dramatic examples to shake other people out of their a- apathy um, is that's something that anyone can do. And you know, becoming a symbol like using your own weakness as a strength, you know, as Batman does with fear in this movie. All of those things are like relevant to being like a you know impactful member of society. So. I feel like for this movie, it was it was so much more accessible um, than the last few we've watched. What do you think? For me, uh, I think it just promoted Batman to cooler than before. Okay, um, I'm. Uh, I think that's that's really cool to take something take something like that away from uh, the movie. But I think the biggest impact that Christopher Nolan had on Batman for me is to put Batman. He, you can view Batman as a cool character without a whole lot of compromises uh, because he gives you a reason behind everything, especially why he's Batman, right? Yeah. It's not just an arbitrary choice. He's like, oh, I, you know, it's not Halloween inspired. It's, <laughs> it's, it's something that comes from inside of him uh, from, you know, a meaningful experience in his life and all these, he keeps bringing it back and it has to do with fear, this whole theme of fear. Yeah. Um, and, and it just... It lets you enjoy the character of Batman in all its glory because, I mean, he has a lot of the same things that Batman has, but without compromising to be like, well, that's just what Batman's like. You know, he gives you reasons. And, and this, it's not – he creates the character of Batman uh, very thoroughly, and, and that yeah. makes it so much easier to enjoy. It, that's so true. And, the like, it's, it's so satisfying when you first, like, when he first reveals that he's going to be Batman. You know, Alfred asked him, why bats? Master Wayne and like that whole sequence and then seeing him in the suit for the first time it's just like it's so powerful because of all the build up he set up for this movie right like it's not I know this isn't really possible but it would have been so cool if you didn't even know that he was going to be Batman you right, know what I mean? right like obviously that wouldn't even work as a movie but like to to have that like slow build from just Bruce Wayne who is on a like this idealistic me- like um, mission and have him decide that becoming Batman is the best course of action. It's just, you're exactly right. He gives you all these great reasons and all this, like, backstory to help make the character so much more um, thorough. Well, I actually read on the IMDb trivia that many of the actors who signed on to this movie signed on to it without knowing it was a Batman film. Really? Uh, they knew it was a Christopher Nolan project, and I, I believe it was called The Intimidation Game. Hmm. Uh, so it was all, and, and a lot of, again, it's like all these themes work without leaning too hard on the fact that it's Batman. The fact that it's Batman makes it awesome. You're, if you're already a Batman fan, you're so happy to see him, uh, the, you know, a movie that is executed this well, but it doesn't have to be Batman for a lot of the same themes to ring true uh, and for the movie to itself just be uh, compelling. So it's, uh, I, I, I agree with you there. It's like a, uh, a flesh out of Batman. That's just, uh, just really well executed. Okay. So here's a, here's kind of a weird question. Um, like Christopher Nolan takes a lot of time with the dialogue and there's a lot of explicit, like, um, 
he's explicitly saying that Batman is this or Batman is not is not that. You know, there's not there is like some, there's a lot of showing obviously, um, but there is kind of a lot of telling too. So do you do you feel like this is insulting to the audience or like that he's ex- showing respect for his audience? He's like he's not he's not letting you draw your own conclusions. You know, kind of like like all these themes that we're talking about here existed in that that first Batman we watched. Um, the Tim Burton one, right? Just they're yeah. just not as explicit as they are in here. They're not explored quite as well. So what what do you make of that? Well, I think it's all in the execution. Uh, a lot. I think that this this movie had almost as many memorable lines as Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. except this time I wanted to remember them because they were so good, as opposed <laughs> to how bad they were. Right. Yeah. So um, I think it can be insulting to kind of throw it into the viewer's face there, but I think. That uh, in this case, Christopher Nolan just rewards you for listening. Yeah. And uh, it's not, I don't think it's too in your face. Uh, There are definitely some things where you're like, like, for instance, the why do we fall down quote. It's (laughs) it's used multiple times and it's like, maybe that wouldn't happen just like that in real life, but it's... It, it it's just continuity within the movie that rewards you for remembering what's said at all times. Yeah. So I, I think that I think that it's it's when you when you are blatant like that, when you are up front, it's uh it's all just how you execute it and I think it's done well here. Yeah, I mean he's gone on record for talking about his more vague films, stuff like Inception or Memento where he's you know, the ending's almost um up for interpretation. He says mm-hmm. he always says like the the ending is obvious, you just have to watch the movie. Um, and so like, you're exactly right. I think that's a, that's something that he is doing. He's like hiding those little things in there, uh, for people who are paying attention to, to really pick up on it and get a more satisfying experience because of, I always walk away from, uh, I want to say Christian Bale. Again. <laughs> I always get them confused. Christopher Nolan movies. I always walk away from Christopher <laughs> Nolan movies, uh, feeling like it was well planned out. Yeah. where uh, he he took a look at the movie as a whole and decided there were things he wanted to focus on, and you saw those things pop up throughout. And uh, much, and I mean, a, a huge one for this movie is fear, obviously. But uh, I, I, I would rather have that than have a movie that's so vague that challenges me to be so intelligent that I have mm-hmm. to create my own meaning. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that is so true, too, because I feel like, like Christopher Nolan is kind of this auteur director, right? He, the stuff he makes is always like, always has this distinct style and just like this immense amount of um, like competence behind it, right? But he's he's also makes it accessible. He makes blockbusters. He makes movies that people want to see in theaters. So, um, you know, he's he's kind of bridging that gap in a way between like the casual moviegoer and then someone who's you know, reviewing movies every week on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and that's what makes him so perfect for Batman. Yeah. Uh, because it is something that is, everybody loves Batman, but also somebody please make a good Batman movie. And, <laughs> yeah. here we, and here we have it. All right. So let's talk about Batman himself, played by Christian Bale. And um, what a, what a uh, what an amazing casting choice. Christian uh, Bale is perfect for Batman. It's, I mean, it's hard to picture anyone else in it almost. He's just, he's so good. He's so, like, uh, he's such a good Bruce Wayne, you know, where he's, he's like, so driven, uh, but also, like, very eccentric in a way. He's very disciplined, too. Like, just in yeah. his, uh, it's believable that he would be capable of the things that Batman is capable of. Definitely. Um. So, yeah, he definitely has some, some serious uh, daddy issues, right? Um. 
He his whenever anyone insults his dad, he gets super pissed. Oh yeah, and I well, you know, his his the subject of his parents are it's it's a touchy subject for any iteration of Batman. Well, most iterations. <laughs> uh but <laughs> but he's uh it is very much his dad, not his mom, that he yeah, cares about. It definitely is. And, I mean, th- they set it up so that it almost, like, Bruce is in a good position to blame himself for his fa- for his parents' death, right? Yes. Because the way it happens is that they're watching a play, and then there's, like, some something happened on stage, and it reminds him of a bat, and he gets um, he gets frightened. He's like... To be f- no, yeah, it was because people on stage were actually playing bats, and it, it's... It was actually pretty cool the um the way they were doing it. They were like on this rope, and the way that they were like on the rope, it was spinning them really quickly, much yeah. like a bat would, you know, kind of flap around real quick. Um, so at first, I thought it was a criticism that you know Batman or uh, young Bruce is kind of getting his bat PTSD triggered <laughs> by these onstage bats. But also think about what it's like to be a little kid. Little yeah. kids get frightened for stupid reasons, and and not to say this is a stupid one, right? But at the very least, uh you could give him a pass because he's a kid uh, and that's what causes them to to leave and why he kind of blames himself right because they leave and then immediately the first person they cross pass with uh shoots them <laughs> yeah yeah but they <laughs> they leave through the like they i don't they like the garbage exit i don't know why they're going out such a sketchy door <gasps> Yeah, I know. That's I don't understand that either. It looked like a pretty nice theater that they're at. I don't know how they got out that they left in such a such a messy area. I don't know. It's, but yeah, I mean, there was a mess, and there was a guy out there with a gun. He's like, "Give me your wallet." Oh yeah, never mind. I'm gonna shoot you. Boom. Yep. So um, yeah. Well, let's actually back up a little bit. So, little Bruce actually falls into a well while he's playing with his childhood friend Rachel. Yep. And inside the well, there's bats, and the bats um, get them, basically. They just, like, exit the well, and um, his dad has to come down there and save him. Because he's... Yeah, they swarm him. I mean, that could, I mean, that's definitely traumatizing. He just yeah. fell, broke something, uh, and then the bats swarmed him. Yeah. So Are, yeah. You, scared of, are you scared of bats, Joey? I, I don't know. Like, I guess if I saw a lot of bats, I would definitely be a little freaked out. But, like... I'm definitely... I definitely, I am, uh, I definitely don't like vampire bats. I think that the whole idea is, you know how I feel about vampires. Vampire bats. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I don't, I don't know, like, they only eat cows, though. They don't actually, like, go after people. And they're just, like, they're just, like, flying rodents. Like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with bats. To be be honest, me neither. (laughs) I kind of, occasionally you see them, like, flying around at night eating bugs. Which, I, Which is good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Don't like bugs. So, strike one for bats. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, there's a lot of different things. I mean, there's a lot of buildup before he's even Batman. I mean, obviously, this movie's called Batman Begins, but, like, you don't see a lot, a whole lot of him being Batman until much later in the movie. At first, he's, like, just some guy in a, or, you know, Bruce Wayne is just some guy in, like, a prison and he's fighting people. There is, like, a bunch of different points where he's fighting with different weapons. Like, he's fighting with a sword at some point, which is something you never see Batman do before. Um, at one point, I thought he had a gun on him, which was, like, I've always heard that, like, uh, Batman never uses a gun, although I don't know if that's true or not. Um, he has a grappling gun, so... Anyway, yeah, but he- up to, to this point in our series on Batman, the three movies we've seen, Batman hasn't 
fired a bullet. He's fired missiles, though, and bombs. Oh, wait, no, he has fired bullets. That's right, because he had the Gatling guns on his uh, bat wing. Yeah. So maybe he just doesn't use handheld guns. That seems like a weird distinction to make. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't use a gun in this movie either. I, I, it was a, it looked like a gun from the from that angle, but it turned out it was just a stapler. Very sneaky. Classic. <laughs> so okay, look, I mean, we can talk about some of the classic Batman things that this that this iteration of Batman um uh, comes up with, like the Batmobile, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it's a departure from the traditional Bat themed Batmobile, right? Mm. Uh, this one, you really only call it the Batmobile because you know of other Batmobiles and you just call whatever Batman drives the Batmobile. Right. Because it's not really Bat-themed at all. It's actually, it was originally called the Tumbler, and uh, it's just a big old tank. It's a, that means a really fast tank. It doesn't have, like, treads. It's got wheels. Like, I didn't pick up on this, like, the first few times I watched it, but um, uh, Lucius Fox says, that the they invented it to, to um, jump over rivers and then like tow a cable behind it and then make like a bridge or something. And so it's got it's like a some sort of special like launch thing where it has like an afterburner on the back so you can you know go really fast uh, using like jet fuel. And then it's also got cables too, which you don't really see in this movie, but like obviously Batman loves cables. He does love his cables, and also having the that like rampless jumping ability is super helpful for Batman when he's doing his escapes in the uh, in the Batmobile. And it also comes with a stealth mode. And is that the stealth awesome. mode okay? Yeah, actually, I was a little bit confused by that though, because it just seemed like it turned off its lights. Well, it, it, like the engine went silent; they couldn't hear it. That was crazy. Oh, they like okay, yeah, because. Um, I mean, it is a little confusing, but like, it was awesome watching that happen. Like, they're they have the Batmobiles going down the you know the highway, weaving in and out of cars, and this, there's a spotlight on it from the helicopter, and then like he activates the stealth mode or whatever. You know, he presses the little S, and it, <laughs> um, and it just like disappears. Like it just fade. Like he slows down or whatever, and like the helicopter can't keep up with it, and it's like driving past the police cars and they can't even hear it as it goes by it's just like so silent and eventually somebody fi- like sees it because it's like i mean it's black and it's during the night so it's hard to see but like somebody sees the outline of it as it creeps by him and he's like there it is and then he you know guns it from there but then it roars back to life yeah which so is cool. a really cool sequence yeah so uh the batmobile really cool and uh it has like that arm or uh like weapon sequence or whatever where the driver slides into like a prone position yeah which is which is really cool and then we get to see that fully fleshed out in the uh in the second one so uh that was cool that was really awesome so yeah the batmobile the tumbler the black tank whatever you want to call it is is one of the is just one of the coolest parts of batman's gear uh in this movie so really well done And, and and i would say a i don't know if it's brave but i think that it's you know, uh, Christopher Nolan not afraid to ch- make his own, make make Batman his own, uh, while still staying true to the theme of you know what Batman has and what makes Batman Batman. Yeah, uh, because but that's I mean that's kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier, and I mean that's kind of like when people talk about this these trilogy, they always say gritty as like the the adjective, right? And yeah, 
I mean, I agree with that, but I think it's more like it's trying to root itself in reality. You know, he gives you so much, re so many reasons why he becomes Batman, why he decides to dress up like a bat, because it's so, it's so absurd if it's done any other way, right? And to, to give him some sort of flashy car wouldn't fit in with this kind of, you know, this theme that he's going with of realism. Um, so to have him have like this, this vehicle that has, this almost seems more practical, like, makes a lot of sense but i mean it's also like super cool too which is kind of like and, and you're you're right like he's changing things but he's also keeping it the same right he's he's saying what's important he's taking he's stripping down batman saying what's important it's important that the car is cool it's not important that the car looks like this you know yeah and i mean he delivers on that no yeah i think it's yeah it's so very well put it's it's so well executed and that kind of that's throughout in all this Batman stuff. And another important part of that is the suit. Because, again, why dress up like a bat, right? right. And uh, and we'll get deeper into, like, the meaning of fear and the inspiration behind the bat. But um, the suit itself, it was a really expensive version of body armor uh, that's supposed to be, like, super powerful. And it originally isn't even all black. Uh, it was meant for soldiers, but it was too pricey. So it's just another... Uh, idea from Wayne Enterprise that didn't go into production. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it, it checks all the boxes. It, it checks out, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't even have nipples. <laughs> it's you, you. No compromises made at all from the uh, from the bat from the bat suit. I don't know why it doesn't have nipples. That seems so practical to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So again, one of the things, one of like the. I guess the more silly things he has is like the ears, right? But in this one, he they they put uh, emphasis on that the ears have like little surveillance like antennas in them, so that he can use he can like hear from far away or whatever. Because you do yep. see a lot of like him doing detective work, see him doing like you know surveillance and stuff, which is always like an important part of Batman that I feel like is often overlooked is like his ability um, to sniff out the truth, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, it's that's like a big part of what sets Batman apart cuz a lot of people it's like, "Well, Batman's not a superhero, he's a detective." Yeah. And uh and 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 this movie kind of leans towards that a little bit more, too. He's also got the um uh the wings, like the I'm like putting my arms out like you can see me. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the uh the gliding thing, which is also a little bit different. It's the um memory cloth, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's his cape. And again, I understand uh, you can kind of give it a pass. Uh, it's like, why does Batman wear a cape? Uh, it, like, as for, like, the intimidation factor until, like... But basically, it's just to look cool. But yeah. this Batman really puts an emphasis on the utility of his cape because, uh, you know, it, they before he even puts it on, before he even has the idea to have a cape, they, uh, they tell you about the material and that it's for gliding, A, but... Um, but also, it doesn't have to always be this hard shape. It can also just be a cloth. Yeah. Uh, and, and apparently, it's inspired by real-life technology. That thing, oh, like really? That kind of memory uh, cloth that it has a certain form and it has an electronic charge, that's a real thing. So Never heard uh, of it. That's really cool. Right. So, again, grounded in reality. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's like you see that there's a, a, such a cool part where he's going after um, Gordon, right? And he jumps from the rooftop and he just tries to like parkour his way down. Um, but he's like, the next day he goes to see Lucius Fox and he's like, I need something for like parachuting, you know, I need something for base jumping. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that like, it's like a iterative thing, right? Like he's coming slowly coming up with what he needs. And one of those things he needs is the cape. One of the, one of the other things that I noticed uh, was that he couldn't really move his neck. Like just like in the other movies. Right. But he uses the cape to kind of hide that fact. He like dramatically turns and swings the cape around uh, with him. He like grabs it by with his hands. To tell you the truth, I I didn't notice at all because I guess because he conceals it so well. There's that one part when he's on the rooftop with Rachel and he like turns away and back to her. But like when he turns, he he does it with like a flourish. So you're you're not paying attention to the awkward movement of his lack of neck muscles, you know? (laughs) That is cool. I mean, it's something that you have to compensate for when you are Batman. These suits are. I can so imagine that Christopher Nolan be like, okay, we have to solve this problem. He looks so stupid when he can't move his neck. And we can't yeah. build a suit that has his neck moving for whatever reason, right? So we have to work on his turning. We have to teach Christian Bale how to turn dramatically without it seeming weird. And they pull it off. Definitely. Because, I mean, it's so obvious in the other movies the, <laughs> like how weird it is when Batman can't turn his head. And uh, I mean, I guess if I took a closer look at it, maybe I'd notice, but just on a casual viewing or yeah. I would hardly call the way I've watched this movie casual, but <laughs> on a first viewing, it wasn't uh, wasn't something that came up. It wasn't obvious. Uh, another big part of who Batman of who Batman is, is his lair. Of course, the bat cave. And in this one, it's a literal cave. Um, it's co- like one, an interesting fact I learned about it is that contrary to previous Batman films, uh, this Batman, this Bat Cave is a massive, full-scale set. It's a cave. Hmm. Uh, it's not uh, props, I guess. Um, and there is other like, it, there's no background that's like a, a sheet or like a painting or anything. Yeah, like, this yeah. is a this. They were in a cave for this. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it, it's. I mean, it really. It looks like a cave. It certainly uh, felt like a cave, and because it's it's not something that was built. I mean, it it was a it was a bat cave to begin with, right? Which is which is kind of cool, and it, it's all part of like the whole inspiration behind his idea of becoming the Batman. He yeah. goes down there, but I mean, uh, when Alfred says like, they see a bat in the uh, in that in Wayne Manor, and actually, the bats that were individual, like that, like the bat that was in Wayne Manor, those are real bats. Oh, really? Uh, Yes, and the bats that were in the swarms are CGI. Okay. So, uh, and and so you know they 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 use practical effects, I guess, if you want to call a live bat a practical effect uh, when they could. <laughs> but uh, I felt like the the CGI bats were done well too. Um, yeah, well, there's a, there's like a right way to do fake. that, right? Like if you don't, like you can't see a lot of detail because they're moving too quickly, and it's like a big kind of mass. I feel like those are so much easier to animate just because um, it's so much harder to pick up on the little details. It's when you have yeah. like, a whole CGI character that it becomes kind of a problem. Well, and then there's the, yeah, so Batman enters when he's, dis- when because it, it was, it was kind of cool too because, again, having your, being Batman, having a bat cave, it's like, oh, uh, it's like roll my eyes. Like so, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's kind of cheesy, but, um, it's just so cool the way it happens in this one because I mean Alfred's like, oh, those bats nest somewhere on these grounds, yeah. like wink, wink, like raising the eyebrows, um, <laughs> and like Bruce Wayne's like, hmm, you don't say, and then he, but of course he knows where the bats are. Uh, this this just kind of reminded him, and then he goes down there, and we have this really, uh, just the swell of music, a really cool scene where 
all the bats swarm Bruce. And for the first time, we see him uh, not be afraid. He just lets them. And I think, for me, that's when he truly becomes the Batman. When right. the when he's when he enters the bat cave for the first time and just gets completely swarmed by these bats, uh, really cool scene. Definitely, and yeah, that was you're exactly right. Like the way he stands up and everything, and you can just tell like he's he kind of like grown through that. He's he's learned to overcome that fear, um, and now he's going to utilize it to, uh, you know, fight crime in Gotham. But to go back just a little bit with like the practical effects, that's another thing that. Christopher Nolan is is really really good at I think and this is something that the nerd writer talks about in his uh, uh, video about the prestige um, he says that Christopher Nolan is really good at immersion and I think part of that is using practical effects and stuff he's known for that you know like in, even interstellar which was you know set in this space environment a lot of that stuff is practical a lot of that stuff is um, you know like real sets or you know real lights and things it's not just you know cgi stuff so um that level of immersion um is reached through this you know dedication to finding something perfect perfect location oh yeah yeah and and it just i don't know it adds so much to it um a couple other things about the bat cave uh just like in previous batman movies there's an entrance through a waterfall it's kind of concealed by a waterfall uh that the Batmobile jumps through, and uh, and also there's a secret entrance from inside of Wayne Manor when you play three notes on the piano. Yeah, which is kind of cool. It is cool. I wonder how that set that up, set that up. And there's like a an old elevator or something. Because well, I was I was thinking about it, and it's like, are they three notes that like if you know music theory that like three notes that would never get played in sequence? They like don't they sound would like just... anything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. That'd be kind of interesting to figure out like what notes whenever you play. What if someone, yeah. What if you got some guy to come over? What if you got little uh, Kristen Dunst from how to be a vampire, whatever it's called interview with a vampire <laughs> to come over yeah. and play uh, piano. And she accidentally opened up the back cave. Um, uh, it's a real, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a possibility, right? There's a, you could set a monkey in front of that piano and potentially <laughs> after long enough, th- that monkey would become Batman. So, <laughs> That's how uh, that works. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, well, the and apparently the underground part was um, part of the Underground Railroad or something. Oh yeah, which uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that on the history of the of the Wayne family. But okay. yes, uh, that their history of doing good it does it extends beyond just Batman and his father. Um, sure. Another another classic Batman thing, of course, is the bat signal, and yes. uh, in this one we get to see kind of the origin story of the bat signal uh, because uh, there's a faint. It's a similar outline when Batman straps uh, Carmine Falcone to the uh, to a searchlight after yeah. apprehending him and leaving him for the cops, much like Batman is known to do, and uh, which is kind of cool. You know, you're like, oh, he's becoming like. It's right after you first hear him say that he's Batman, and uh, yeah. you, you're like, oh, look, it's it's all it's all coming together now. He's really Batman. Yeah, that was really cool, and I, I mean, I like that scene for a couple reasons. It's not just because like. There's a hint to the bat symbol, but also like it's it makes sense to put Falcone on like a searchlight like that, like as a symbol, you know, saying like I'm putting you on blast. Like You've hidden in the shadows for so long and now you're like strapped to a light. You know what I mean? Very true. Very so, true. Because he was untouchable cool. previous to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So some some un 
some some new Batman things, I guess. We kind of touched on the memory cloth, uh, kind of the science behind Batman's cape. Mm. Uh, but he also has uh, something that's, a, I would say, I don't know, a little more supernatural or just a little bit more closer to a superpower is his ability to summon a swarm of bats. Yeah, that was crazy. He just, like, pulls out a thing from his, like, some sort of sonic device from his shoe and then, like... All of these bats, thousands of bats just show up. It was like so many bats that were breaking windows. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was where it started to um, get to a point where you might not be able to believe it, uh, where Batman might not be super grounded in reality. But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, at least he didn't, like, ride the bats down, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't think they used that bat summoning power in any of the other Christopher Nolan movies either. It was the first time I'd seen it. I'm pretty sure it's it's not in this second or third movie. It is a cool uh, scene though. Um so then we got let's let's talk more about Bruce Wayne then. Bruce Wayne the character. He well, is Okay, go ahead. He well, I feel like Batman and Bruce Wayne are so synonymous. Or, or yeah. rather, Bruce Wayne is Batman and and, or like the character himself, the person is Batman, and then Bruce Wayne is the alter ego uh, to keep up the public appearance. Mm, that is really interesting, actually, and that kind of gets into something I want to talk about later. Is that um, someone told me this once, and I I think it's true. DC superheroes like Batman or Superman, um, they're all heroes that are trying to be like pretend to be human. But Marvel is the other way around. There are humans that are trying to be heroes. I uh, I agree with that, at least from the perspective of Superman and Batman. I'm not super... Uh... Oh, wait, and also Wonder Woman, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, that that is interesting. It, it's definitely true in this one. I mean, I know he starts out as Bruce Wayne, but uh, from the beginning of this movie, we see him being able to hand out punishment with his fists uh, and then with swords. And he's doing that, yes, as Bruce Wayne, but he's doing it, it, it's happening while he's running away from his identity as Bruce Wayne. And, yeah. uh, and, and and no one knows him as Bruce. Right. And it's not just his perception by other people, but it but it kind of is. Right. Because he's still the same guy just with a mask on when he becomes Batman. So, uh uh, I, I at least from this specific movie, I feel like the character himself, he is Batman, uh, and then uh, he has to be Bruce Wayne to keep up the public appearance. Yeah, and, you're uh, right. He really when he's when he's Bruce Wayne, you know, when he's out in public, he really does seem like a different person. You know, he, he is uh, he's, he's the that rich, rich douche. douche. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he has like the nice cars, and he's got the the two girls stacked on top of each other inside of the car. Who go like swimming in the in the hotel fountain? It's like, yeah, like and he doesn't restaurant care. Before? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's like, oh well, I'm buying this hotel so that I can, I you know, I can change the swimming policy. I was like, thinking about that today. Like, wouldn't it be just smarter to like have that check bounce? You know, yeah, like, not do it right, and then just you know pretend that you're gonna buy it, and then you know never actually do it. Well, I'm wondering who this waiter is because as Bruce Wayne pulls out the checkbook, the waiter's like, "I assure you, there's no amount of money that you could pay where this is acceptable." It's like, yeah. dude, do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'll show you. I will literally buy this place. So, so um, yeah, but like, how like how does that work? It's like you know, imagine you're like you're the manager of that restaurant, right, or hotel, and your waiter comes by and has like a giant check and he's like 
some guy said he's going to buy this hotel. It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> he didn't talk it, to me. <laughs> right, right, right. But, okay, that would make sense if it was some guy, but this is Bruce uh, Wayne. Yeah, okay. Remember, he can't. you have to go like a thousand miles away to, uh, to find someone who doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah. So he's very much a uh, rich... Uh, playboy and uh, I I think that him saying he's gonna buy the hotel at least there's a possibility that he's telling the truth definitely uh, and when he is playing this character uh, I don't not by his actions specifically but I I did see little uh I got a whiff a, uh, a faint reminiscent whiff of uh, Patrick Bateman uh, in the uh. way that he was acting because he was so he was acting right he was not being himself yeah. and, and and Christian Bale's so good at portraying that where he's being the rich douche but uh it's kind of a stark contrast to who he is in the rest of the movie so you're like oh who is this guy you know um and it's you can it's believable that it would be a convincing persona for him to put before the the public yeah you're absolutely right i didn't make that connection but you're you're right there is kind of that whiff of patrick bateman because patrick bateman is just as fake as bruce wayne is interesting so yeah, and it's cool. I mean, we we spend a lot of time with Bruce Wayne at the beginning, but again, I still feel like that's just Batman, uh, because a lot Bruce Wayne is the Playboy millionaire. Uh, yeah. Batman is the one who's out there kicking butts. Right, which even makes sense back to what Rachel says at the end of the movie, right, where she says that the man who left seven years ago is not the man who returned. Um, yep. And like your mask is Bruce Wayne. Uh, so yeah, that that fits in really nice. Okay, so let's talk about Joe Chill, who um, has a very well. I think uh, Mr. Freeze might say, "Cool name." <laughs> how is yeah? How is Joe Chill not in Batman and Robin? Because <laughs> he is a uh, well. I guess he's not necessarily a goon, but he is a bad guy. Because uh, he's obviously the one who murders uh, Batman's parents. Yes, um, and then. You know, 14 years later or whatever, he's um, released on parole at a public hearing. And then, uh, like, that whole scene when Bruce is going up to, to kill him, like, he has a little gun in his pocket. And he's, like, going to, com- like, confront Joe Chill and kill him in front of all these people. And then before he can do it, some other person comes by and kills him first. Man, that was, like, that was so crazy. It was just, like, this moment of shock. And, like, my face reflected... Uh, Christian Bale's face in that perfectly. He's just like looks so. It looks so perfect. No, me too. And I, because uh, when I was watching this, I was so frustrated. I was like, this guy murdered two people in, uh, in you know, in cold blood, and he's gonna get out of prison after 14 years. Like I was, uh, I was absolutely steaming. I was right there with Bruce, just thinking, yeah, this guy deserves to get like shot. Uh, and even though he seemed uh, regretful, obviously he he wasn't trying to get parole saying like it wasn't like it wasn't a crime like he he even though (laughs) his yeah yeah, even even though his attorney was like blaming it on the depression which that is not a good reason for killing two people okay but especially not those two people uh but any two people really um but it it it, kind of gets you right because uh then he gets murdered by someone else and you're like oh this whole system is messed up Uh, i'm not sure if i'm you know, I, I don't know if my opinions were really weren't like correct, um, because and it, and it makes sense, right? The, the the whole justice system in Gotham is uh, is completely wank because it's there's there's so much corruption. Yeah, and like that's I mean that's what Rachel says later is that 
like the the trial should never have been public right because otherwise falcone could easily get to joe chill and kill him which is what exactly what happens um yeah i i don't know like this was such a an interesting like um change i think from like typical batman stuff like you know batman always goes for like the the big you know crime boss or whatever but like to see that corruption leak into the to the legal system like that um it made the like the made the whole thing seem so much more interesting you know this is not just like a cut and dry thing it's not as simple as like the bad guys get locked up it's like the, sometimes the bad guys get off if there's a bigger fish out there that they want to catch so it's um it's a it's this complex real world situation you know this is something that that really happens and maybe there is corruption because like maybe corruption is the reason that it happens but like the idea of you know letting somebody go to catch somebody else is something that happens all the time well sure and it, and it makes sense that the, the events that occurred make perfect sense uh once you understand the whole uh situation right yeah like they they the the uh the da or whatever the uh the good prosecutor. guys, the prosecutors uh, in Gotham, are desperate to get anything they can get on Falcone. They'll yeah. even get this guy who's agreed to turn. Um, they'll, he's a murderer, but he he has information they need, so they're willing to get him off uh, on the on the premise that he will give them desperately needed information. And Falcone knows that can't stand. He's untouchable, so uh, he goes out and has that guy killed with no consequences to himself. He's Falcone, yeah. so uh, you know it all makes it. it there's no uh, holes there. It all it all it, it makes sense the way it plays out, which is uh, yeah, which nice. makes it so believable. Yeah. Okay, so Bruce Wayne like becomes Batman in this movie, but there's also some other growth that he goes through too. Right, and and this is a good time to talk about that because we're why was he at that uh trial of course because he wanted to shoot joe chill uh he wanted revenge basically yeah Uh, and he kind of grows beyond that to valuing justice over revenge or just not even valuing revenge at all that's what i think is so powerful about that moment when he's like he decides he's gonna go kill joe chill but then he can't he can't get that right and later on he says that like you know vengeance isn't gonna work for him but um it's like you you think this is going to solve your problem. You think, you know, vengeance or revenge is going to help you like, you know, come to peace, but it's not. It's going to make everything worse. There's a bigger problem here that's not that in Joe Chill is just a symptom of that. It's not um you know, it's not just him. He's not operating in a vacuum. So like to to see the bigger picture like that um it's just so interesting especially when you're looking at this mass vigilante you know you're like oh this guy who goes out and you know beats criminals up or whatever how much good can he be doing but if he's taking that you know long-term view if he's saying you know this is this is for justice this is not just for thrill seeking kind of makes a whole difference yes and uh yeah and it's it's what I think kind of sets him apart from just straight up vigilante. Yeah. Um, because it's not as personal. Uh, and there's a whole, I mean, this whole movie is about kind of, uh, or there's a, there's a whole lot in this movie about the difference between being a vigilante and being a force for justice. Right. But, um, another dynamic part of the character of Batman, uh, is Bruce's acceptance of kind of his role as the next iteration of the of wayne 
yeah. men or the man, the 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 Wayne uh, patriarch. Legacy. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> well right well because it is all men uh that that are that represent the wayne family really um but i mean early in the film when he returns from princeton i believe is where he went yeah something like that it's not uh what not was important. it not oxmond or what was oh, the uh, uh, oxbridge Ox, yeah, he doesn't go to Oxbridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's he was at Princeton and uh, he returns home and Alfred asks him if he's going to stay and he says something along the lines of no, I don't want to stay uh, like I'd rather if I had my way I'd have this place torn down brick by brick. And by the end of the movie, you hear him say uh once Wayne Manor is actually destroyed and first off, when Ma- Wayne Manor is destroyed, he's devastated. Yeah. Bruce can't believe. He says what have I done? Um and then at the very end of the movie, he says, I'm going to rebuild it just the way it was brick by brick, yeah. uh, which kind of completes that arc of him accepting the, what the Wayne family is to society and especially Gotham and, uh, and, and kind of being proud of it being something that he want he strives to uh, do his best at. So uh, a very dynamic character in this movie, Batman stark contrast to Batman in Batman and Robin. Definitely a hundred percent. Okay, so um, there's some great lines in here. Uh, of course, when he first says, I'm Batman, to Falcone, that was so cool. See, that uh, is how you do it. Like, again, <laughs> like, let me let me hey, bring us. Hey, I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> saying I'm Batman, like, as silly as it sounds, I'm Batman is kind of Batman's catchphrase. And uh, and it's done. It it's so And every Batman has to be able to pull that off. And it's done to varying levels of effect. Uh, in Batman and Robin, crashing through the ceiling, landing on a dinosaur, and then saying, hey, Freeze, I'm Batman. And then surfing down the dinosaur's spine like it's the episode of the Flintstones. That's not how it's done, okay? This one is so amazing because it's it's – more than an hour into the movie, yeah. and we see him uh, after doing all this classic Batman stuff, like you know, snatching guys into the shadows and and like beating up a whole a whole group of guys all at one time. Um, we yeah, but you don't even see him. That's the cool thing. It's like it's, it's all like those cuts are so quick and everything, and he's always in the shadows and stuff. And even when he's like surrounded by guys and he's all beating them up like in every which direction, you never get a clear like picture of him. You just kind of see flashes. And then this is like the first time you actually see him when he's on top of the car, Falcone's inside it, you know, and he rips off the roof or whatever and grabs him. And that's and you see him and it's like the whole get up, right? Real close up. And he just says, I'm Batman. It's oh, great. yeah. So satisfying. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great line. That, that's well done. That's how you do the I'm Batman line, um, which I, I guess we really didn't talk about. But Christian Bale's Batman voice. I think works really well in this movie. Like it's it's gruff. I know it was a point of uh, humor, at, like following the release of this series of movies where people make fun of the I'm Batman voice. Yeah, but like I don't know. There's a difference though. Like the, he's only like yelling in the Batman voice like once or twice. You know, he's like yeah. Like you barely understand what he's saying. Like, but um, that was my impression of an angry dog. Um, he's. Uh, and this one, he kind of like ha- he still has like a human voice. He's still like he's like it's kind of gravelly, but not too much. It's just like it's just different from Bruce's voice. I feel right. It, uh, yeah, it's yeah. not it's not like entirely deep and grovelly to like it's, a. It's not like this, right? It's yeah, kinda, it's kind of like this. But it does work well when he's at low volumes. Uh, or, yeah. or, or it works 
to his best degree at low volumes, especially actually right before he does the I'm Batman line. Uh, he has one of the guys totally losing his cool with the machine gun. He's like, where are you? And then Batman's like, here. Like, just like right, <laughs> right next to him before he gets him. Uh, which cool. I, yeah, which is, that's so cool. Uh, and actually, um, bringing it back to the Arkham Asylum references, the video game, the Batman series video game that I think d- that Batman is his own iteration, different, like not directly inspired by any movies. And I'm not even sure if this is straight from this movie or straight from the comics. But in the game, that a really big part of it is doing this kind of thing, snatching up uh, like one goon at a time and scaring the crap out of the other goons to the point where they're just useless. Like even though that guy has a machine gun, he was never going to get Batman because he was just scared out of his mind and panicking. Um, so big part of the theatrics of Batman and uh, – yeah, you done know, part- perfectly in this movie. Yes, agreed. Um, and another thing, that was done, another great line from Batman is when he finally gets to see the bat symbol at the end. He just <laughs> he, he just has one word for it. He's like, "Nice." <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty Perfect. cool. Yeah. Oh, there's one other one too. When he's um at the very beginning, when he's fighting criminals in like uh, the prison that he's in somewhere in Asia, the guy's like says something about like how he's the devil and Bruce Wayne says, You're not the devil, you're practice. Yeah, and before he starts to beat up seven guys. Yeah, handing out so much justice with his fists. <laughs> um Okay, so uh while we're kind of on the topic of Bruce Wayne, I guess we should definitely cover his parents. Yeah. Um something we learn about the Wayne family is that they are a force for good. Um, they have a history of doing good. Uh, the Metro system in Gotham city was donated by, uh, Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father. And, uh, it's, it was used to give the poor people of, or I guess just like the, I don't know. It sounded like most of the city was poor, uh, <laughs> gave, gave them an option for public transit. Um, Thomas Wayne, his even though he uh, is the head of Wayne Enterprises, this huge business, he's super rich. What does he do? Well, he becomes a doctor, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's saving lives on the daily. Uh, and his there, we talked about this too. That their great Bruce's great great grandfather uh, helped with the Underground Railroad. There's still evidence of that at Wayne Manor. Um, the death, I mean, even in death, the Waynes cause good for the people because apparently their death inspired the other wealthy people in Gotham to uh, increase their public outreach and kind of save Gotham from the brink of destruction uh, that was being caused by the, uh, League, of the League, of, League of Shadows. So, uh, I mean, the the Waynes are absolutely a force for good. Yeah, and like that, the reason why people are the rich people are so inspired by the Waynes is because of all the good that they did. You know, they, and uh, just the next point really is that, you know, Thomas Wayne almost bankrupts the whole family trying to save the city. Um, and, I mean, he kind of does in a way. Like, he keeps it alive, even if it isn't necessarily uh, thriving. Yeah. And uh, this kind of goes back to the point that we talked about on the, uh, the first episode we had about Batman is like, What's the best way to use the Wayne, uh, the the like the the Wayne family fortune, yeah, uh, in, in a way to save Gotham, right? And, and Thomas Wayne, I think, because uh, we brought up this tweet about how t- uh, Batman should have been more socialist, or Batman shouldn't have existed, and Bruce Wayne should have been more socialist. Uh, mm. 
And I think Thomas Wayne shows a version of that uh, in that it can work in some capacity, or at least he gives an argument for it uh, being used. But almost uh, like the opposite of that, right? Because Alfred is explaining this to, to Bruce and he, like, clearly it's not, it hasn't worked that well. Like it's worked to a certain point, but all it really did was almost like, you know, put them in the same position. It almost bankrupts them. So like Bruce, Bruce sees that and he's like, that's not going to work. You know, like I need, we need something more, we need something more. Yeah. It more or less delays the inevitable. Uh, Gotham city limps along, uh, on life support based on the, uh, the, the goodwill of the Wayne family. But, uh, one thing I, I would like to point out is, uh, and we touched on a little bit is that it's all about the Wayne men. Uh, <laughs> I doubt if you watch this movie once and you had to, and I asked you one question after, uh, you probably wouldn't be able to answer it if that question was, "What's Batman's mom's name?" Because uh, she's more or less Martha. Just... <laughs> Actually, yeah, if you've seen Batman vs Superman, uh, she definitely <laughs> has her time. In... <laughs> she gets her time in the spotlight in that movie, but uh, she's des- definitely just a. Uh, a prop in this movie. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, that's, she's, she's that mom. is a, uh, a criticism of Christopher Nolan that I hear often is that his women are very underdeveloped. And I do think, um, Rachel Dawes is a pretty good character. Uh, not perfect, but she, she has like enough agency in this movie to leave me satisfied. Um, but I have heard that before. And, you know, Martha Wayne is a perfect example of how she is, you know, she's there, She's like, but she doesn't do anything. Right, right. She, there's, it's never her, like Bruce's mom that comes in and comforts him. It's always the dad that's rescuing him or, you know, you know whatever, taking yeah. care of him. We say. <laughs> like dad of the year who's also a, like a doctor and the head of a huge enterprise. Like, yep. Just the man <laughs> who can do it all. He's the real superhero. Sure is. Um, but... But yeah, so um, they they uh, they take him to go see. Do you actually? Is this a real play that uh, the Wayne family go and see together right before they're? Yes, it's demise? called uh, Mephistopheles, which um, the nerd writer talks about in his video too. I'm not really sure what it's about, <laughs> but the the important thing that to note about this, which is something that the nerd writer brings up, is that um, Christian Bale or Christopher. Dang it, I did it, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I never get that screwed up. It's only after talking to you. <laughs> um, Christopher Nolan uh, never wants to show um, movies in his movies because he wants to make sure the immersion is never broken, right? He never ah. wants you to, say, to think, oh, these characters are watching a movie. I'm also watching a movie. He wants right. you to see them, you know, watching a play because that's different. He says, um, there's like a quote, um, a character in a comic book watching a movie is different than a character in a movie watching a movie. And I agree with that. The uh, the traditional like thing that they were watching was the Mask of Zorro. Um, that's what the the Wayne family goes to see ah. originally, but um, that's changed uh, to to Mephistopheles, which seems to be like some sort of like moral drama about deals with the devil, as far as I can tell. Not really sure. Well, it I'm sure it actually has bats in it, which ends up being pretty useful. Yes, it does. Driving the plot. Okay, and, and then, uh, yeah, then they're so I, uh, abruptly killed by Joe Chill. Yes, oh, and, uh, and and going along with this whole theme of fear uh, that we'll get into is uh, 
Papa Wayne's last line, his last words uttered to his son is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yep. Perfect. And then, but like, after that, like, they're going to, he goes to the, um, the police station, right? And everyone keeps saying, it's okay, kid. It's like, no, it's not. Like, yeah. this is not okay. Like, please, stop telling me it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Like, I don't get the freaking, uh, like, the guy who's like, good news. Like, when he came in and said that, he pauses after he says good news. And I'm like, what could possibly be good news right now? Like, nothing could be good news to this little kid. But he's good like, news, good news, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, and he says, we got him. And it's like that is not good news at all. Like, and I think that yeah. maybe that is a criticism for this movie. Maybe they could have had two cops talking to each other. Like, man, that kid, like, he's been through a lot. It's like, well, at least we got him. Like, at least we no, got, but like that. I thought him. that was the whole point. It was like the the police are like, yeah, we got some good news. We got him. But like Bruce is like, that's not enough for me. You know, it's so obvious to like the the kid who plays uh, little Bruce. Um, what's his name? Gus Lewis is so great and. Like, you can just tell on his face, like, this is far from satisfactory, right? Like, it's too little too late. He's, he, like, sure, you got the guy, but, like, what does that what does that do for me right now? My parents have been murdered. And, like, I, maybe that helps, you know, motivate him toward his end goal of stopping crime in Gotham is to, you know, root it out at its source, not to, you know, just stop these, you know, not to just catch the criminals, but to stop them from killing people in the first place. Yeah, well, and also I guess maybe getting him, right, is like some form of revenge. Like uh, mm. he's getting what's coming to him, and uh, it brings young Bruce no joy at all. It's 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 nothing for him. Yeah. So it's really showing is. that, like, revenge isn't what you want. Yeah, good, good point. You travel the world. Now you must journey inwards. What do you really fear? is inside you. There is no turning back. Your parents' death was not your fault. The training is nothing. The will is everything. If you make yourself more than just a man, if you devote yourself to an ideal, you become something else entirely. Are you ready to begin? Where are you? Here. We're back. And uh, to get our bad guy, the bad guy section of the show started off, we're going to be talking about the crime boss himself, uh, the master of bribery, uh, Carmine Falcone. Yes, played by Tom Wilkinson, who was in a previous uh, movie that we've reviewed, um, The Grand Budapest Hotel. And who, who did he play in that one again? He was the author, um, the old author, the old version of Jude Law's character. That's right. And, anyway, uh, yeah, so he's he's pretty great. Like you, like you, you meet him because he's in his like little hotel or something. He's like it, it's a diner, and Rachel's like, Falcone's in there right now. We all know he's there. We all know what he's responsible for, but nobody can touch him because you know he's completely corrupted the the system. 
So Bruce, of course, walks in there. Um, and, and then like, and then Falcone hits him with some like great lines. Uh, and Tom Wilkinson really pulls off the character of like the uh, successful mob boss, I think, yeah. uh, without. Because I feel like a lot of times you feel, you you have to be straight up Italian to be like the, the best kind of mob boss, but uh, Tom Wilkinson's able to put off a, pull off a pretty good performance, um, with like the intimidating but still cool and collected like head of crime, and because yeah. uh, the first thing he says because you know Bruce is walking towards him and he gets arm barred by this uh, goon who checks him for weapons and Falcone's like no gun I'm insulted like he, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he expects Bruce to show up uh toting and then uh and then he explains to him why Bruce can't touch him uh and it's because he, he says look around there's uh, you know there's I've got attorneys uh I've got judges police officers eating in here uh and they're all getting paid by me uh and it's well, they're all influenced by him, and it's because uh, he has the ty- kind of power that you can't buy, uh, and that's the power of fear. Yeah, and um, and then he goes on to say that um, like Bruce will never understand. You you don't understand, and you always fear what you don't understand because uh, Bruce is like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm, you know, I I can uh, take this out on, you know, I can take you on, um, but. Uh, I'm not afraid to, you know, put myself out there. But of course, Stalkone says that's not true. You, you don't understand the criminal mind. You will never understand because you've never been a criminal. You've always lived up in your big mansion alone. You know, you've always lived a cushy life. You'll never uh, be able to appreciate what it takes to be a criminal. Yeah, and Falcone already knows his uh, Bruce's weak points. Uh, so that yeah. he's like, hey, have you considered that even if you don't value your own life, that I can still hurt you? Uh, yes. so I can hurt your pretty little DA friend or your old butler. Yes, and he knows that uh, another weak point for Bruce is his fa- like the memory of his father. Yep. When he says uh, he like because Falcone sprinkles on top of this whole uh, tirade. He says uh, when he was talking to uh, Joe Chill in the joint, yeah. he says uh, he told me your father begged for his life begged like a dog like just, a dog oh god that made me hate him so much his delivery there was excellent especially since bruce was there and knows that's not true yeah <laughs> but uh but it's kind of like the marty mcfly what are you chicken line uh, that's exactly like... what i was thinking <laughs> anytime anything you want yeah just yeah you just call him a chicken and he'll do anything you say yep and uh so yeah, so Falcone, uh, he kind of inspires Bruce's whole journey of crime and uh, self-exploration that ends up really, re- in, in a way, kind of turning him into Batman. Um, but he's, uh, for me, I think Falcone shows that the idea of Batman works because the reason Batman is created is to stop the crime that's in uh, Gotham already. He didn't become Batman to defeat the Scarecrow or even to defeat Ra's al Ghul. He did it to uh, to, to to take care of the powers that be already in uh, in Gotham, and yes. that's and Falcone is kind of the uh, the personification of that, and it and it works. Once he's Batman, Falcone stands no chance at all. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's he catches him in one night, right? Falcone just happens to be at some sort of drug bust or whatever, or like a a drug bust, but like a drug deal. And uh, Batman shows up and you know takes care of work. 
Yeah. And like so, that's that's I mean it's it's really interesting, right? Because like it proves that like normal crime, normal organized crime is is no match for the Batman. That's right. And uh and it's it's an argument it's just going back to the like what's the best use of the Wayne fortune, like giving it away to improve society or becoming Batman. This is a strong argument for becoming Batman. Uh, because you're right. stopping the crime at the source. Um, so, And then, of course, Falcone meets his... Uh, well, he doesn't actually meet his end, really. Batman takes care of him uh, right after the, like, like, what the hell are you? And he's like, I'm Batman. Like, that. we, t- we went over that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but okay, that, this is what's interesting, is that he... Falcone is, like, the big bad at the beginning, but then that's subverted pretty soon after he's caught, because he is captured or you know, locked up uh, by Scarecrow, the, by Dr. Jonathan Crane, and gassed to become insane. Right, and it's it's how Dr. Crane is able to get all these insanity pleas through because he essentially just drives people insane, and then he's like, look, they're insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting how, like, Falcone just becomes, like, this pinball in this machine between, like, these big powers, right? First, like, Batman, and then you know, Ra's al Ghul. Right, it's like Gotham... I think we one of the things we said in our last episode is that Gotham is where like the gods come to play, uh, and Falcone is no god. He's good, no. but he's just a man. And uh, once these greater powers, the like Batman, Scarecrow, Ra's al Ghul, once they're into the the picture, he's uh, he's clearly outmatched. Um, and it's again another. I, I don't know if you can... It's kind of an argument for Batman, too, is that uh, there's a whole no, another tier of forces that are at work here um, that dwarfs right. even something that Gotham already can't handle uh, in Carmine Falcone. Which just like, brings up something that we're going to talk about later, but I think it's a good point to bring up right now, is like is escalation. It's, it's what... Uh, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Gordon says to Batman at the end of the movie, he says, what about escalation? You know, we wear Kevlar, they buy armor-piercing rounds, right? Like, we get riot shields, they find ways of breaking it. You're wearing a mask and jumping off of rooftops. What is the response to that? So, like, you're saying, like, oh, Batman is appropriate because of the things that are, like, the powers that be that are at play in Gotham, but how much of that is Batman's fault? For me, this is a bad argument because um, it's like if Batman didn't exist, then everyone in Gotham gets destroyed. So it's like you can either have a escalation or die. So, mm. yeah, I mean it's true because Batman is almost a response to Raza Ghoul, right? Mm-hmm. In an appropriate one, but like his continued uh, existence in Gotham is that necessary, and is that doing more harm than good? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question because it does invite challengers, right? Uh, yes. And I mean, we're, this is kind of leaking into the next movie, but. Uh, the Joker does what he does as a response to Batman. Uh, so it's not, you know, without Batman or a figure like Batman, would you even have the inspiration to have somebody like the Joker? That's right. And, I mean, that's kind of the the, the danger point. I think the tipping point is, like, like, how... At what point do you stop becoming Batman, right? At what point do you... Is Batman enough? Or have you done enough as Batman? Right. No, that's a good question. I don't know. But uh but yeah, so um like we said Carmine 
Falcone gets dwarfed by some of these greater powers and one of those greater powers, I would say like a step up from Carmine, but not quite at the level of Batman or Ra's al Ghul is Scarecrow. Yes. And I think that's a, uh, in my opinion, kind of a bold choice for when you're kickstarting a new Batman series to go with a less, lesser known Batman uh, villain like Scarecrow. It gives you the opportunity to define the villain yourself. You're not going to compare him to previous iterations. I don't think there's a previous Scarecrow in the cinematic form. I don't uh, think so. But uh, but what a cool character he is. And this whole, very much on theme with the whole fear aspect. Because Unless, um, uh, is it the Wizard of Oz part of the Batman canon? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Why? Okay. No, I was just because there's a scarecrow in that. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, like once he gets a brain, he just he just goes way too far. He becomes a psychiatrist and starts torturing people with these uh, chemicals, these hallucinogens. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I've been actually like pretty satisfied with our choice of movies just because we haven't repeated villains yet. That's true. Um well, okay, so let's let's talk about who Scarecrow is, right? So he is Dr. Jonathan Crane, um, yes. which actually, while we're making references to cinematic universes that aren't there, um, <laughs> the fact that he's a psychiatrist named Dr. Crane means that the Batman, Batman exists within the Cheers cinematic universe. Oh, my universe. gosh, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's related to Frasier? He's Frasier's brother, obviously. <laughs> that, but Niles is Frasier's brother. He has two brothers. They're all psychiatrists, brothers. or uh, they're all in psychology, like the field. Because um, <laughs> I'm pretty. Isn't Frazier a psychiatrist and uh, and Niles a psychologist? Or he might also be a psychiatrist. Anyways, well, Frazier's like I think Frazier's a psychologist because he gives advice on his radio show. He doesn't prescribe drugs. Okay, psychiatrists thought... prescribe drugs. I think. Pretty sure. Well, I, they... I still have it up. Hold on. Because psychiatrists are trained medical doctors, they can prescribe medication. Psychologists focus extensively on psychotherapy and treating emotional and mental suffering in patients with behavioral intervention. Okay. So I'm pretty sure Niles and Frazier are psychologists. Okay. And their brother, Jonathan, is a psychiatrist. Slightly different field. Right, right. But still similar. Uh, So it makes perfect sense. Dr. Crane himself, a... uh, part of the Cheers Cinematic Universe. Okay, and obviously that's not true, but in researching this bad joke, uh, (laughs) I found out that there is such thing as, like, the... It's kind of called the Cheers Cinematic Universe, but it's really the NBC Cinematic Universe, all these shows that have been on NBC, uh, starting with Cheers, but then also Wings, Frasier, The Tortellis, The John LaRocque Show, Seinfeld, Mad About You, Friends, Joey, How I Met Your Mother, Caroline in the City, and The Single Guy. Apparently, all those shows, in some way or another, uh, cross over and are considered part of the NBC Cinematic Universe. That's interesting that Friends and How I Met Your Mother are in the same, like, together. Yeah, no. And I'm not sure, like, you can go... Re- do more research on which shows cross over into which. Obviously, Cheers and Frasier have a direct connection. Yeah, um, but so I just Joey and Friends. So yes, yeah, so I, I thought it was I thought it was kind of funny the Doctor Crane thing. But I that think we've funny. gone on this <laughs> this bad joke long enough. Uh, let's actually talk about the real Doctor Jonathan Crane, uh, played by Cillian Murphy. Yeah, I really like him. Uh, he was um, he was like a main character in Twenty Eight Days Later, which is a Danny Boyle film about like vampire zombies. 
that, that movie's crazy and I really like him in that um of course in this too he's i don't know he's like a lesser known actor but i see him occasionally and i just always really like how weird and like twisted he is and like um yeah so i really liked him as the scarecrow oh yeah he's so weird in this one uh, there's something off about him from the very beginning yeah. uh, i mean you you you're, the real first interaction you get with him is he's walking out of the courtroom and he's talking to uh rachel and you can just tell there's like a, a hidden motivation behind the way that he uh, goes about his business, uh, yeah, exactly. especially the way that he uses his double meanings because, uh, you know, he's talking to Rachel. She doesn't know that he's Scarecrow, uh, but he says, I respect the mind's power over the body. That's why yes. I do what I do. And what he's saying when he says that what I do what I do, she's thinking uh, psychiatry and he's meaning being Scarecrow. Right. Yes, which is perfect. And, like, that also ties into this fear theme, right? Like, fear paralyzes you. It paralyzes your body. It's the mind uh, controlling the body, right? The mind has power over the body. And when you're afraid, then you lose control of both. It's, uh, it's I mean, it's it's amazing. Because um, he's, he's just... We, we talk about this whole, like, theatrics thing, and we'll get into that more with Ra's al Ghul, but uh, Scarecrow isn't physically any different than any other human. Even his mask is a very minimal uh, costume uh, yeah, to, like to a, make him like into a Scarecrow. burlap sack or something. Right, and he's... Uh, but but what it is, it's all about his perception. When you yeah. are on this hallucinogen, you see him as this great, like... Uh, t- you know, terror, and that's enough. That's enough to take down even Batman when he doesn't see it coming. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, he he really like gets Batman. You know, like Batman shows up in the in like you know little like a little whatever apartment. He kicks a couple guys in the face, and then he gets sprayed right in the face with that hallucinogen, and that's it. Like he gets lit on fire and then dropped out of a window, um, and that was just crazy. Well, I don't even know what the camera trick or what you even call this specifically. I just consider, I, I call it fear vision, but the, the first person perception of people who were on the hallucinogen was so cool. Uh, it's unlike anything I'd seen in, in other movies. And it's, it's just like always, it's like, it's like, sh- vi- like the screen is vibrating and like zooming like back and forth really fast. And like, you can kind of only focus on certain things. Yeah. Um, and there, there's so many different ways that people's fears manifest themselves i mean when batman uh when he's on the hallucinogen it's all bat stuff uh and it is memories of his parents but i mean you see later on when the kid is on the hallucinogen he sees a scarecrow on a horse that's breathing fire and it's got these like red eyes and it's just so uh and a lot of times it's like maggots coming out of scarecrow's face it's uh it was it was not like horror movie level scaries but it was definitely startling definitely and I mean, it really gets the point across. And so, um, yeah, uh, we got to talk about one of his best uh, villain tri- uh, attributes, which is his ability to land a solid pun. <laughs> yeah, it's so important to, as a superhero, as a Batman villain, that you can land a pun effectively. And we saw Mr. Freeze <laughs> do this extraordinarily well. And I think he'd be proud uh, if he saw Scarecrow. Um, when he uh, right. when he when he first interacts with Batman, he lights Batman on fire with like you know the little lighter, and he says, "You need to lighten up," <laughs> which I think is a example of how to do a pun well because there was so much more yeah. going on there. The, the the 
the action that he took made sense because they were trying to destroy evidence uh, as opposed to him lighting him on fire for the sake of landing a fire pun, mm. which uh, is, is kind of the, the, the difference between this and literally everything that came out of Mr. Well, Freeze's mouth. That's just a weapon you had it on hand, right? Like, it was there to burn stuff, and so he, he throws the alcohol on Batman and lights him on fire. Right, exactly. And so he just he saw an opportunity to land a good pun, and that's good execution, as opposed to, you know, having a dinosaur in the scene just so you can say, "What killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the Ice Age." <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. There's okay. One other thing I want to talk about before I get off Scarecrow is uh, there's another college humor skit with um, uh, with Batman, the Batman series, uh, where he's fa- like. It's basically this scene recreated um, from the movie, uh, except that Batman is afraid of a bunch of ridiculous things like Girl Scouts or Roombas. It's so <laughs> hysterical. <laughs> okay, yeah. we'll, we'll link to that in the description as well. And just in case for anybody listening who uh, doesn't know, uh, anything we mention, uh, anything we uh, outside references, we will put in the description so you can check it out yourself. Uh, just like this uh, Batman, is that what it's? That yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's actually like Batman college humor or something. But yeah, they 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 were pop. These movies were coming out when college humor were, in my opinion, at the peak of their internet presence, and uh, their Batman uh, videos are pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but oh, speaking of things that are pretty funny, uh, right after Scarecrow is like riding the horse around the the area of Gotham known as the Narrows, he's on the back of this horse, and you see the vi- the the view of this young boy who is actually it's young Joffrey from Game of Thrones. If you uh, if you've seen Game of Thrones, very hateable young man, um, but he's he actually ends up being uh, a pretty cute and uh, you know like. He, he's just a young boy. He's not hateable at all in this movie, which is very detached from uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. I but, mean, I never watched Game of Thrones, so I don't know. So, yeah, it was a little striking for me. But anyways, that's, that's <laughs> beside the point. Uh, when Scarecrow is kind of intimidating them uh, and saying, well, he, first he says this line that's very fitting for his character, very fear-oriented. He says, uh, there is nothing to fear but fear itself which is literally true in this situation because uh, there's nothing actually harming them. It's just that they're all on this hallucinogen that makes everything scary to everyone. Yeah. Uh, but right after he says that, Rachel pulls out her taser and tases him, and he's just like, ah! ah, ah. <laughs> that would have been a great opportunity for a Wilhelm scream. Yeah, that, it would have been, honestly. And uh, and after that, I think that's the last time we see him. I think so, too. Oh, does he get locked up later? I don't recall. I don't think you. I don't think you see him at all. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is interesting. It's really cool to have Scarecrow in this movie because he is like so fear centric in his whole theme of fear. You know, it fits really well. And um, you know, having Batman kind of confront him is another way of him confronting his fears. So, leading us to the master of fear himself. Well. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, the, the correct title because Scarecrow's, okay. Scarecrow's I'll, whole I'll thing is fear. But um, a guy who definitely uses fear and intimidation to his advantage is uh, Ra's al Ghul. Yes. Yeah, so originally played by Ken Watanabe, um, who is in another – he's in Inception, too. He's uh, Saito, uh, so another Christopher Nolan regular. Um, but I – okay, I'm not exactly sure. Like, 
is Razagul like a a title, or was like Liam Neeson always Razagul? I think Razagul is probably an idea. Yeah, because I think that is too. He um, he's supposed to be the like leader of the League of Shadows, right? So the League of Shadows has been around for more than one lifetime. So there has to be more than one Ra's al Ghul. Right. And that's how it works in like uh, the Arrow show too. It's like there's like a Ra's al Ghul is a title that gets passed down to the next Ra's al Ghul. Right. And I, I don't think that the Ra's al Ghul who – or Ken Watanabe, I don't think he ever really was the leader. No? you think So you think Liam Neeson was always Ra's al Ghul? I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have, like, any concrete evidence on that. But it seemed like his involvement with Bruce. I mean, he even said, you were my uh, you were my best student. Yeah. And uh, I think that that kind of leans towards the whole misdirection thing. It's like he Liam Neeson was always in charge, but he needed to get closer to, uh, to Bruce. And to do that, he just pretended not to be who he was. Right, and I mean, Roz, like, is a big part of, like, I mean, he's a big part of the training, but he's also, like, a big part of the ceremony at the end, right? He's he's not just translating, he's, like, instructing Bruce on what to do. Right. So, yeah, he kind of he fills that role without you, like, quite realizing it, I guess. Which is Was such, it? well, it just goes along with what he preaches at all times, right? Right. He becomes more than just a man. He becomes almost, like, the entirety of the, uh, the League of Shadows is almost an extension of Liam Neeson. And uh, just yeah. for, the, for the simplicity of what we're saying here, because we're saying Ducard is, you know, but, you know, he it's almost <laughs> like he is just one person. Uh, he's kind of the head, and he just pulls the strings. Right. Well, I mean, did that, did that get you, like, that reveal that Liam Neeson was Ra's al Ghul? Was that, like, a surprise or anything to you? Um, No, only because I had seen uh, the third movie. Okay. Uh, which where where I didn't that what really was a reveal to me was that he was a bad guy because <laughs> I thought he was a good guy with the way that uh, Batman kind of remembers him. Yeah. But um, that I'm sure seeing that movie again will have a lot more meaning to me now that I know who Ra's al Ghul is. But um, I was I don't know I I see how the reveal was set up well. Yeah, I I, I agree. So yeah, let's talk about him a little bit. He's. I mean, he's very intimidating, but he's also like super calm all the time. You know, he like he's very measured. Yeah, no, I mean, it, very reminiscent. I don't know if it's just because he's uh, like Liam Neeson, but it, it kind of reminded me of Qui Gon the way he was kind of the master mm. teaching, uh, you know, uh, his Padawan how to do all this like kind of mystical and like uh, very ideological uh, way of life. Yeah, that's actually really good. That's a really good comparison, I think. Um, but I mean, there's this couple of scenes, like there's one where he's sitting by the fire after Bruce falls into some icy water. Um, and he, he's talking about how his wife was killed and how he like sought vengeance as a, a, a method, uh, to, for justice. Right. And then he joined the league to, um, you know, right the wrongs of society. Yeah. He, he has this, uh, he has this really good line there where he's talking to Bruce about, uh, you know, Bruce is lost and he says, but I know that rage that drives you, that impossible anger, strangling the grief until the memory of your loved one is, a, is just poison in your veins. And one day you will catch yourself wishing the person you loved had never existed, so you'd be spared your pain. So relatable to Bruce. Definitely. And it's, I mean, it's really, I mean, that's like such a 
like good line stuff. It's such a, I mean, it's it's scary how, um, like how there's truth to that about how like you know these people that you care about can turn into the source of your anger or source of your grief. And it's uh, and it's it's a good motivation for his character. Uh, Ra's al Ghul goes to extreme lengths to accomplish what he considers to be justice. Yes. Um, and it, it, obviously we need a uh, you know he didn't just sign up. He didn't see a flyer for this. Um, he had something happen in his life where he had someone he loved taken from him, and that changed everything. Yeah, it did. Um, he also. Uh, just like everyone else threatens uh, or, or insults Bruce's dad. Right. He, he blames. He says that Bruce isn't to blame for his parents' death. It was all Bruce's. It was all Thomas's fault. Yes. No hint. No. Again, no hint at uh, the, the mom. No responsibility right. for the mom. <laughs> she has no autonomy, of course. <laughs> Her life was, was always in Thomas's hands. A woman? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so... If it, this is like meant to provoke him, but it's also meant to teach this lesson about how, um, like you always need to to act, right? What, what does he say? Training is nothing. Will is everything. Yes. Yes. You know, a, could, he, go ahead. Well, he he just has so many powerful lines. He does. He's uh, Liam Neeson is such a great character. I mean, not character. Gosh, that's how cool. Is such a great character, and Liam Neeson really pulls it together. Like he makes him. It makes him real, but he also makes him this, like, you know, intense and, and really, like, methodical villain, right? And he's so, he's just like Batman, where he's so ideological. He's so, like, um, focused on his goal that he's going to achieve it no matter what it takes. And he, he, I mean, he uses any kind of means necessary, basically. Well, yeah, and, and it's all this kind of his well, I, I guess first off, let's talk about how he achieves these ends, right? right. Um, because he is basically a ninja training academy. That's what the League of Shadows is. Uh, they they work. They they're able to achieve things that are, uh, you know, seemingly unachievable by normal men because they uh, are able to augment their perception uh, in the eyes of their enemies. And uh, he he uses these two words: theatricality and deception. Uh, yes. And it's this great quote: "You must become more than just a man in the eyes of your, in the mind of your opponent." Right, like you occupy, like this, the space that legends, you know, occupy. Which is You're... right. I mean, that's smack dab on brand for what makes Batman who he is. Uh, when it when when Batman is done well. Yes, I I hundred percent agree with that. And it was so cool seeing him kind of like learn that right, and then repeat that that line later that theatricality and deception are powerful weapons against your opponents. Well, one of my favorite lines actually is when Ra's al Ghul meets Batman for the first time and he goes, well, well, you took my advice about theatricality a bit literally. Yes. That was so good. Especially since like that helps kind of ground the movie back to where it was, right? Like you're on board for this whole like Batman transformation. Um, but to have somebody kind of react like naturally to that and be like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, he seems so ridiculous. <laughs> like, that that helps ground the movie even more, but it is also hilarious. Right. Okay, so getting kind of into the motivation, I guess, or the uh, the ideology of Ra's al Ghul, he says, uh, well, he claims that he serves true justice. He says, crime cannot be tolerated. Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. Yeah, so do you think he has a point to this? I think... 
I think it's it, it goes to bring it down to a more common thread. Maybe it's the whole like eye for an eye uh, yeah. way of looking at crime, which um, I don't know if I agree with. Uh, it certainly seems fair if you had to like the a lot of times justice is shown as the uh, the scale, um, right. and that that's literal balance to have uh, you know an eye for an eye. Yeah, but like. You know, burning Gotham to the ground or destroying Gotham, it's like, it's such an, uh, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but like, it's it's such an easy solution, right? Like, instead of going, instead of going in there and trying to solve the problem, he's just like, well, we'll just start over, you know? Right, and his argument is that they've done it elsewhere, but has it worked elsewhere? Yeah. Like, like he's naming off, like, like, was it Rome and... Constantinople. Yeah, like other place, other famous falls of giant empires, right? Like, what did that? What did the engineering of that accomplish exactly? Sure, we know about them, but we also know about their great accomplishments. It's just interesting how like his argument seems to be that any city like of of you know substantial size is going to breed crime, and that like that's the problem. It's like we need to we need to cut down on like this breeding ground for criminals. Um, by basically destroying everything. To be fair, Gotham is definitely a breeding ground for criminals. It's not too far from uh, reality to say that maybe the reset button is the best option here because things yeah, but, are pretty far gone. Yeah, but that's the really interesting thing is that he admits later that uh, it was hi- it was it's his fault that Gotham is in the state of sin right now. That's true because. Yeah, he says so. that the League of Shadows is uh, experimenting with new weapons, namely economics, and that it, it's almost like he saw Gotham as this you know great city like like Rome was, and he's like, all right, time to time to purge it, you know, like it gets to us like that. It, that seems to be his point about balance is that like these these big you know metropolis areas um, should not exist; they're not natural, and there needs to be a balance, aka the uh, League of Shadows to cull this, you know, overpopulation of something. I don't know. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. Like, obviously not everyone in the city is a criminal, but in, in, in creating that kind of environment where almost everybody in the city is a criminal is doesn't really make your point. It's just kind of it's almost like a tautology. Yeah, there's it's, it's too uh, general of a response, I think. Yeah, I think so too. There's more nuance to it than that, and uh, I think that there are a lot of times where his um, his way of thinking maybe leads him astray. For instance, when Ra's al Ghul shows up at Wayne Manor and and burns the place down after uh, Bruce is pinned to the ground by the flaming uh, like beam, he says he cl- he's clearly not dead. Like. <laughs> Well, well, this is, and that kind of goes into this next line here, because uh, Ra's al Ghul says, "Justice is balance. You burned my, you you burned my house and left me for dead. Consider us even," uh, which is like quite literally an eye for an eye, right? He's saying, right. "You you burned down my house and you uh, like left me basically unconscious. Um, so now I'm doing the same to you. So you know it's fair, but I disagree, and it's it's like." part of why his ideology doesn't isn't 100 percent because he totally misread that situation yes batman did blow up that place but from the from this from bruce's viewpoint he saw liam neeson as almost captive in that same kind of ideology because 
what he says, what uh, what Ducard says is that um, yeah. he freed us from our, uh, you know, our our fears, and uh, so then we joined, right? Uh, like as a kind of as a payment, but there is no turning back. It's not a choice. You have to be there, or else you get killed. So yeah, exactly. So maybe Bruce is like, well, I can't do that, and obviously I like you, so I'm gonna destroy this and uh, and save your life. But when yeah. uh, but when he wakes up, I guess uh, Ducard says, "Oh wow, Batman tried to kill me. They're not Batman, but Bruce tried to kill me, and I survived. And now I'll, I have a chance to serve justice, also known as revenge." In this situation, well, kind of, but his goal all along was to destroy Gotham, and and Bruce only delayed that by destroying you know, League, League of Shadows. True, and I mean, but you're exactly right. Like, Bruce, he didn't leave him for dead. He saved him twice, and then he, which was like, oh man, when he when he was sliding down the, like the cliff, and Bruce is like sliding on his stomach and then grabs him and then has to like lift him up. That was, that was so cool. It was crazy to see like that. It was agonizing. Yeah. Yeah. And then um and then he carries him to like the nearest village to have someone take care of him. Like that's not being left for dead. That's like being left for you know. Left for good. Yeah, left for life. <laughs> <laughs> left for alive. Yeah. Yes. Um. Okay. So let's go into some of his uh his just his greatest hits as far as his lines go. Yes. Um. We've already talked about a couple of these. The the world is too small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear. That's like the first thing he says to him when he meets him in the prison, um, which is yeah, it's a cool thing to say. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, but okay, then, then later in that conversation, he says he's like mentioning Bruce's, um, like his goal of infiltrating all the criminal organizations, right, and trying to understand them. He says, "Whatever your original intentions, you have become truly lost." You know, like, you know, I guess he sees him as an opportunity to en- enhance the league, right? Right. Well, I mean, yeah. It, it, well, it's kind of his. Uh, he sees great potential in Bruce, and I think Bruce knows he has great potential, but he just doesn't know where to direct it. Because um, yeah. this, it's kind of a mutually beneficial thing if you look at it uh, at the time before Bruce really knows that he has to become a murderer to join this League of Shadows, because they're kind of giving him what he wants. He 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 was frustrated with the lack of justice and uh this this secret group is committed to justice so uh oh well, yeah their own form of it anyway right right which he doesn't know yet um and also so cool when you first get introduced to the league of shadows where uh you know ducard is like uh death does not wait and make no mistake here you face death and he starts fighting ah yeah. So freaking cool. <laughs> I know. He like walks up and he's like, all right, I'm ready to start, whatever. Like I'm here. And um, no, he's not ready to start. He's like, I'm exhausted. I can barely stand. I can just, yeah. Like I'm here, whatever. And he's like, oh, we're going to start right now because, you know, that's what it is. But he gets knocked out pretty quick. So he gets a little bit of sleep, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this land earlier, but it's, uh, I think it bears repeating. Um, you know, Bruce is it's like, I, my father didn't have training. He, there's nothing he could have done to stop you know, the, the guy from shooting him. And uh, Ducard says, training is nothing. Will is everything. It's good. Really yeah, I know. It's a powerful line. He's just so good at delivering them, too. Um, and, and I think that actually comes back in the third movie, too, because it's more about, like, uh, like, it's more about determination versus, like, talent, right? He has to, he, Bruce has to, like, 
brace through all of the pain that he that Bane puts him through, um, and he just proves how strong his will is. Right, right. And uh, another good exchange between Ducard and Bruce was uh, when Bruce is hesitant to. Well, when Bruce says he's not an executioner, yeah. uh, then Ducard says, your enemies will not share your compassion, uh, which is true countless times through Batman's uh, experiences. Uh, but then Bruce says, it's what makes us different from them. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, it's such an important moral standpoint. I mean, not just for Batman, but like to to like go through all of this intense training and like, you know, overcome all this stuff and then still have that, you know, that focus on what's important i think it's like really speaks a lot to uh, his character right and i think that is a big part of who batman is though right like at least yeah. from a uh from a policy standpoint batman doesn't kill people right <laughs> in actuality yeah um okay, okay so then he uh um uh, when when Razor ghoul re-reveals himself uh at bruce wayne's birthday party he says, is Ra's al Ghul immortal? His methods? Supernatural? It's just like, like oh, you, you thought I was dead, but I am back. That was pretty cool. Yes, and uh, it kind of gives us a little more insight into Ra's al Ghul because he, he's kind of telling us, honestly, that Ra's al Ghul isn't just a person. Yeah. And we got one more line, but this is kind of a Batman line, really. But he, uh, as Ra's al Ghul is finally facing death, um... He uh he's in the train heading toward you know got the Wayne Tower, and says, "Have you finally learned to do what is necessary?" And Batman says, "I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you." Right. Okay. He so I I want to yeah I want to analyze this a little bit more. So Batman's not killing him in the sense where he's not stabbing him in the face with a bat <laughs> like uh uh what is a battering battering bat shuriken yeah um. But he is destroying the train that he's on, the tracks of the train he's on, and sending him careening to his death. So what's the difference? Nothing. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Was Ra's al Ghul right? Do you have oh. to kill people? To is that? Do you have to do what is necessary? Is that mm. what's necessary? I guess is the question. I feel like it is. It's an like, argument for it. It is. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I mean, this is like real f- philosophy, but like, um, utilitarianism is always about, uh, what does the most good. Right. And like a, ut- a pure utilitarian, I'm going to say that right. Um, someone who subscribes fully to utilitarianism, gosh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> utilitarianism. <laughs> Yeah, please just say words for me. I can't speak. <laughs> um, he, someone who does that, uh, will uh, subscribe to the idea of like kill one person, save a thousand people, right? And like, I, you kind of like Batman doesn't necessarily subscribe to that idea, right? Like, he hesitates a lot to actually actively kill anyone, and this is always like the moral drama when you when you're dealing with superheroes, right? But it's um. It, it doesn't always work out that way, right? Like, there's no way for you to know that killing this person is going to save other people. I mean, in this case, it almost seems obvious, right? Because Ra's al Ghul is just hell-bent on destroying Gotham. But, like, um, you know, and, and killing him might be the only, might be a way of stopping him, but is it the only way? 
And I always feel like Batman tries to find the other way, right? He always tries to find something. He tries to serve justice. Right, and it's just, I don't know. Like, he, he has a policy of not killing people, but he still ends up killing people. Uh, and that's Ra's al Ghul's whole, like, I guess what I'm saying is... That's his whole point, yeah. Yeah, is Batman any different from his his enemies? He doesn't, well, he, doesn't, he certainly doesn't learn from this mistake. Or, like, uh, not even mistake. He doesn't learn from this action, right? It's not like he goes, there's some, like, moment of contemplation, be like, wow, I actually did kill him, even though I said I wasn't going to. Yeah, he just kind of does some uh, mental and literal gymnastics in an attempt to uh, get away with killing him without feeling guilty about it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we can talk a little bit more about the League of Shadows in detail, um, especially their training. So it starts off with them, uh, you have to bring a blue flower to the, uh, the temple. You have to climb up there with the flower in hand. Yeah, and the blue flower ends up being the hallucinogen. Yeah, which that was kind of cool. I like to see like how that kind of came back. And then, it, of course, you start immediately. Like you get there, there's no time to rest, no time, you know, put your bags down or anything. You just get punched in the face by taking himself. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very uh, life or death. That's the whole fear aspect of it. Yeah, um, and so- I, I mean that is, I mean Bruce Wayne comes in there saying he wants to conquer his fears, but that fear does seem to be a big point part of the league of shadows training is yeah. like overcoming your fears but also using fear as a weapon right and it's uh it's also literally training to become a ninja um which yes. batman you, you i've heard him described as a superhero i've heard him described as a detective and i've also heard him described as kind of a ninja because uh, he does lurk in the shadows and uh beat people up with his fists so sure uh, definitely a big part of his training here yeah they are literal ninjas um, there is that one scene where they're fighting on thin ice, like they're sword fighting on, on thin ice, which is like, to me, it's like, how often do you do this? You know, it's like, oh, the lake is frozen. Let's go fight on it. Like, <laughs> or, or is it like, like, oh, we can't train any nobody new. The ice, you know, the ice is still broken for the last guy to try to fight on it. <laughs> like, you can't be doing that all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, do, I don't know how frequently they take on new members. Seems yeah. like they're kind of hand selected, but. Um, another speaking of fighting uh during their training i really really enjoyed the scene uh where you first get to see the fear vision uh where batman is or bruce rather is uh taking on uh ducard in this crowd of ninjas yeah okay i was super confused about like what that was like they just they all just they're all like lined up in like perfect rows or whatever and they keep like moving in and out and bruce is the only one that's like bruce is in there He's like looks just like all the other ones, and he, I guess he's trying to catch. And so does Ducart. Yeah, he's trying to catch Ducart. So yeah, like, it's a it's a one on one duel within a crowd of people who look just like them, and uh, Ducart is on the offensive because it, it seems like he knows the choreography that's going to be going on with these ninjas. Right. But uh, and he's able to land a, a cut on Bruce's arm. And uh, and he thinks that's his ace in the hole. He he's got him now. He has a way to identify Bruce against all the other ninjas. But Bruce slices two of the other ninjas and is switches places with one of them, uh, so that when Ducard thinks ah, I've got him, he goes, "You can't leave him. You can't leave any trace." And uh, Bruce is like, "I didn't." And uh, it was so it's so well executed. It's, it's just very one of those uh, uh, Christopher Nolan kind of like you know mat, like tricks like sleight of hand kind of on screen type of thing uh where right after that where the guy who Razal Ghul at the time starts clapping he's like 
impressive. I was literally doing that in real life also. I was like, impressive. That was a really cool <laughs> sequence. Uh, it's very creative, you know, because I'm not, and I mean, we can get into this too, um, kind of the fight scenes in this movie, a lot of what Batman does is what's called uh, uh, flash fighting, and it's mm-hmm. a, the style that Christopher Nolan went for in this to kind of give Batman the, uh, to kind of convey the idea that Batman's strikingly fast fighting abilities make him like impossibly quick. Uh, and that's the way that they kind of show that on screen. Uh, but I I personally find that uh, to be one of the least satisfying ways to convey violence because uh, it, you can't see it. It's uh, yeah, you, but you, like it makes sense in this movie though because like they want he wants to convey the chaos of like that fight, like especially that first one where he's in the prison, you know, and it's just like, yeah. mud everywhere and everyone looks the same. Like I feel like that's totally on purpose. Like you don't, it's just so it's just pure chaos. And um, there's no like, like order or, or anything to it, you know. Oh no no, and I, I totally understand. Like I mean, he went for it explicitly. Like uh, uh, Christopher Nolan talks about that, uh, and this is actually the only Batman film in this trilogy that uses that style. But mm. um, and, and you know, and it's a personal preference, right, for me that I I don't appreciate it quite as much as other styles. But um, this style where it's very much about noticing what's going on, it's a lot slower paced. Uh, is what is uh, a a style uh, of fighting that I really enjoy to see on on screen. So yeah, um, it, it is really satisfying. I'm just confused about the whole like like the whole exercise. It's like oh, there's a box, but if you open the box, you get you know terrified. So just don't open the box. Like why? Are you, what are you doing? Like yeah, I'm not sure. You know you know he's not in the box. <laughs> if you're looking for him, why you get distracted? I, I'm not exactly sure what the. Uh, the rules were i don't know if they talked talk to him before it's like because the, the the real thing there right is he's using the flower that he plucked to begin this whole process uh to conquer his fears they crush it up they burn it he inhales the smoke and now he's got that fear vision right um yeah. and he's and it, this is him conquering his fear so he has to take on the bats in the box and maybe that was what they said they're like you're gonna have to open this box and then after that you have to best me um and uh, he's able to pull it off, uh, and, and and that is kind of him overcoming that fear. That's good. Um. Okay. Um. Last thing we could talk about is just the how this leads into the next movie, which is the Joker calling card. Oh and, um, yeah, and I mean escalation. Talk about delivering on a promise. Good night. Um. <laughs> and originally, the reason we actually got a tweet asking why we were not doing. The Dark Knight, even though it's like regarded as the best Batman movie ever, uh, and it's because we felt like that movie has been kind of reviewed to death. Uh, there's been so much critical response to it. We're not sure that we have anything really to add. But after watching the first one, I feel like I want to watch it anyways and talk about it. So we might end up doing that. No promises. Uh, we're still doing definitely doing Lego Batman next week. But yeah, um, so maybe we'll do an encore. The fifth week of Batman month will be. Um dark night yeah but I like uh idea. yeah i do too but all right i think we've we've talked enough about batman begins <laughs> i really loved it um christian uh bale uh christopher nolan i mean uh the rest of these star-studded cast like it's just a great uh movie really revives batman in the eyes of the public uh as an actually like really compelling superhero i 100 percent agree and like i mean just like I was saying at the beginning of this, like when you watch a, a bad movie, like you don't want to watch any more movies, but when you watch a good movie, you want to watch so many more, or at least for me, 
And yeah, this this is just like I don't know, restores my faith a little bit, I guess, <laughs> after sitting through Batman and Robin. This feels like such a a welcome like breath of fresh air, especially since we've, you know, kind of dive dove deep on Batman and this movie shows so much respect for the character that um we just can't help but love it. Well said. Um all right, with that we're going to p- p- bring this thing to a close. Joey, yes, th- thank you. Thank you so much for joining me once again. <laughs> of course, anytime. Hey, thanks for listening to Affable Chat. You can find us on iTunes, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you want to help us grow the podcast, share it, rate us five stars, and or write us a review. It really helps. Have a comment about something we said? Tweet at us at Affable Chat or write us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. Check the description for links to any of the outside topics we discussed. And once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.